0: EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate.
1: Hey, good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, depending on where you are coming to us from. We are, I am uh, Daniel Scott. I am filling in just temporarily for a short term basis for uh, Todd, our host today, Todd DeVoe. Today we are going to talk about uh what we're going to kind of we're going to kind of do a recap of iam which we were at last week if you didn't get to go uh, please try and join us uh, next year which will be in um, november and it'll be in savannah georgia uh, but today we are going to talk about um the the system or sy- systemic cyber risk reduction venture and we are going to um uh, i'm so sorry can we bring in our guest today Hey, Bob. I'm sorry, I completely I don't want to mess up your last name. Can you introduce yourself to the audience, please?
0: Bob Kolaski, I'm um, one of the I'm one of the assistant directors at the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, and I run the National Risk Management Center. Great to be well, with thank you. Thank
1: you for taking the time to join us this morning and, and talk to us about your your uh, new venture. And uh, maybe to give us a, a quick uh, introduction on the on the venture and what it is that that uh, it is actually encompassing.
0: Sure. Um, one of the things as I said, I run an, I run an organization called the National Risk Management Center, which is a planning and analysis collaboration center where industry and government work together to reduce um, risk to the nation's critical infrastructure. And of course, as part of the cybersecurity agency, we focus a lot on cybersecurity risk. And in doing so, and I, th- I think it's great to be here with the emergency management community, it's time to start to think about cybersecurity risk from the perspective of real world impacts on functions of things that are really important to us. And we've seen a crossover in, um, certainly throughout this year of adversaries going after systems in a way that have real world impacts, most most prominently the Colonial Pipeline incident, which I'm sure we can talk about a little bit as as we go forward. And the Colonial Pipeline incident ends with people waiting in line in the Northeast for gas, right? And gas hoarding, things that, you know, emergency management communities used to dealing with. And, and so with, with that just sort of simple mental model in mind and experience we all, all went through, the, the venture that, that we launched, the systemic cyber risk reduction venture is really to better have the ability to understand the impact of cyber incidents in terms of potential functional impacts and to build out the analysis to do that. And then to talk about priorities using risk language and risk metrics and then to make progress in terms of mitigating cyber risk based on that analysis, based on, our, based on our priorities using metrics so that we have some sort of systemic solution so that the country is at less risk from um, cyber attacks. And that's really what we're trying to do. And we call it a venture because we want it to be a team effort. We want to take advantage of the whole community. We, we want all the smart people out there to help us better understand risk and mitigate cyber risk.
1: Well, those, I mean, you said you, you, you made uh, you made mention of a few words that are in a few concepts that are, for me are uh, huge. Is These are things that I, I, I basically preach. I get up on a soapbox and I preach mitigation and, and being able to reduce reduce uh, risk and how we can even prevent uh, certain aspects of what what we are attacked with every day, whether that be uh, nature or that be uh, someone who's trying out, out there to actually do intentional harm. But uh, I want to touch on one thing real quick before we move on is that you made a very good point about bringing bringing the cybersecurity aspect into emergency management and engaging the emergency management uh, uh, profession. How do you see emergency management? Because this is something that keeps coming up. uh, Do emergency management play a role in in, uh, cybersecurity and should they play a role in cybersecurity? So from your point of view, how do you see emergency management playing a role in
0: this? Yeah, sure. We're here talking about cyber, but just a little bit of my background, the National Risk Management Center is an all hazards risk management center. You know, we are concerned about anything that can bring down impacts to critical infrastructure, and, you know, I've got a lot of experience working with the emergency management community on impacts to critical infrastructure, particularly around hurricanes and flooding and wind, wind disasters and wildfires and the kinds of things that emergency managers around the country are dealing with. And so, you know, those those concepts are very, I think, resonate a lot with me. And I think applying some of those concepts to cyber is, is useful and it will help bring together the community because, you know, using the language, using the emergency management and, and overall risk management language, similarly across, uh, across potential hazards is a useful exercise and emergency managers do very much have a role to play in cyber and particularly the role is being prepared to mitigate the impacts of something happening in an information technology system or an operational technology system, particularly operational technology that then causes the, the thing that, that that digitalization empowers to not be working and, and then you know placed out through the, through the cascading impacts of, of that happening. And so you know, cybersecurity, and, and what, one of the things we're trying to do at the agency is, is think about resilience as much as security, right? And, and think about holistic risk management. And if you can't do that much damage through cyberspace, through, through attacking our digitalization on the actual real world impacts, then we've done a good job of managing risk. Right. And of course the emergency management community is where we look to for, for some of the key aspects of building resilience into systems, planning for resilience, x ex- preparedness and, and, and all those good concepts. Let's do it around cyber incidents so that we have the preparedness of resilience again, so the adversary can't cause the, the level of harm that, that becomes a national security issue.
1: Does the so you this was announced back in January, correct? Yes. And so how is it how does this play a role in training? Um, those two would be taking part in
0: this initiative? Sure. So, so a lot of what we've been doing right now in, in the first it, first part of it is better mapping out what we call national critical functions. And example of a national critical function is the idea of conducting elections, right? So, so conducting elections is critical. So is generating electricity. So is the provision of medical care. Um, availability of core communications networks and so what we've done with those critical functions which are available on our website we um, we published in 2019 and we've been really spending the last period mapping out our understanding of how those functions work so we can better identify sources of risk within those functions and that then plays out in the real world around things like conduct elections where i've got a pretty good understanding at this point how you know, you and I as voters, as citizens register, our vote gets counted, our vote gets certified, and ultimately the culmination of a voting process ends up with a democratic decision. We've mapped that system, and then we've looked for areas where there's cyber risk in that election system, and we partnered with, so how how does the community get involved? We partnered with the state election directors, secretaries of state, local election officials, and others who manage aspects of the risk there to find real areas to mitigate um, cyber risk and then cyber risk ultimately to the conduct of our elections. And that's the kind of thing that we can do with the spirit of collaboration in the venture. Understand the risk, partner to, to identify the real sources of risk, and then use a whole community perspective to get, go after it.
1: So how may a community um, or how might a community actually partner
0: with you in doing this? Uh, sure, um, we, we you know, we we rely at CISA very much on a structured partnership with industry through something called the critical infrastructure partnership advisory council and we have somewhere in the order of representatives of thousands of businesses that that manage critical infrastructure um, who we work with through the critical infrastructure partnership advisory council private sectors also established a bunch of things uh, a bunch of organizations information sharing organizations called information sharing analysis um, centers (ISACs) that are open for people to join to, to get more information, sharing. And then we work with state, local, tribal, territorial governments through a coordinating council of state, local, tribal territorial governments. We work closely with the national association of state, um, chief information officers that the Homeland security advisors, you know, you, you mentioned IAEM, some of the emergency managers. And so those are ways to get involved in our work. we, we, we certainly are frequently talking to the associations, uh, to membership, and then at a local level, we have um, security advisors around the country, protective security advisors, cybersecurity advisors that are um, partners at local levels in working to mitigate um, critical infrastructure risk at that level. And so, you know, there are a lot of different ways to get involved.
1: Very cool. I, I want to go. I want to go back to the mitigation question in just a minute. I had that. I have, but I want to ask a question that Todd has. Uh, so, where is DHS in terms of understanding? What is a very long list of national critical function and an analyzing risk to those functions?
0: So, Todd's right. There are fifty-five critical functions, um, and if you think about the critical functions, those those are the things. And you know, we use the mental model that if they're not working, that's a bad day at, from a national security, from a community well-being perspective. And while it is a long list, unfortunately, those are things that, that you know we have to address risk. Um, where we are within that, we we've mapped out, um, you know, a lot of how those functions work. We have had a heavy focus on the lifeline functions, um, particularly around the energy functions in, in uh, finance. In, not finance. I mean transportation, communications, and, and water. We've done a lot of work around election security, and we've we've mapped out and we're starting to adjust how we think about what priority critical infrastructure is, priority assets and systems, and the things that are most important in the functions. And again, I, I really like to talk about it in terms of real world. Um, you know, our understanding of the pipeline infrastructure, and you know how things how oil fl- flew through the Colonial Pipeline helped us understanding the potential impact of a Colonial Pipeline shutdown, so that we can manage risk further downstream, where there were key elements that were relying on the product that was flowing through the pipeline. And that kind of work has happened because we we put the effort in to map the infrastructure.
1: Well, how does, uh, how, how does uh, data
0: science play
1: a role in, the, in its development?
0: Sure, so data science in this area, right? The, the science of modeling how information flows in terms of how functions work, right? right that, that's a, a little bit of a modeling thing. And then data science comes in that we've got to take data sources from multiple places and, and put that data together such that we can and And this is where we're still somewhat immature. we We can talk about the aggregate of the data in terms of risk, you know risk metrics and qualifying risk. And so I'm getting data from threat feeds. We're getting data from you know people who understand how supply chains work and how things flow, operational data. we're We're getting data from vulnerability assessments. We're getting data from, you know, weather effects and and, and consequences of of things not working and we've got to figure out a way to merge that data into our models and and that's you know we've got some data scientists that work for us and and that's really what we're trying to do
1: this is just a this is a side note for what i just heard but is it uh do you guys get to read that information and get information in real time
0: um you you know most of the time for risk data there there are places of course that we we want to Real-time information, um, but you know, a lot of what I'm trying to do is p- paint an aggregate risk picture, and what, real-time data shouldn't change our risk t- too much, but it will adjust. And then in the moments of crisis, you know, the, the easiest thing for, her, for our emergency management community, you know, in, in the moments pre-hurricane, what we're, we're looking at real time, what we think the infrastructure impacts are. And as we get, see the infrastructure impacts, we're putting into our model to understand it. We're trying to build the same thing in, in cyber where we, we see that there are incidents happening. And again, we can sort of assess the impacts of those incidents uh, at scale and whether they're gonna have real time impact on functions so that we, we can decide if something's a big enough emergency in, in the real world in addition to addressing the digital issues.
1: So, you know, to bring it back to mitigation, how can, so how, you know, other than getting involved, uh, yeah. how can, how does this information allow us to uh, mitigate um, the, the potential threats or risks that are present out there that what are the, is it that we can do uh, right. as a, as a mitigative individual myself, how what is it that we can do other than just getting involved right. to use this information uh, to prevent something larger happening?
0: So, so you know, mitigation and preparedness sit next to each other. So starting with preparedness and doing the planning and exercising and stress testing of your systems, how a cyber incident, how a ransomware incident could impact your operations, and designing in a backup plan to operate if if you can't do certain things because your system is locked because somebody's popped it with ransomware. That that's one aspect of mitigation. Bringing in additional preparedness to to, to stress test the system. There are other areas of mitigation that I think are important. Um, knowing your suppliers, knowing where you get the things you are dependent on, you know, again, everyone's dependent on energy and communications, everyone's depending on transportation, having plans to have backup operations. If if some of those dependencies aren't working, again, knowing your suppliers having alternative sources of supply, if if you lose access to, to one supplier, that's another important element of mitigation. Certainly, you know, cyber risk mitigation means following cyber best practices, you know, adopting the, the frameworks that are appropriate that are out there to make sure you have good s- cyber in place. So, so there are lots of different areas that you can mitigate, Think from a risk perspective, protect the system, plan to operate if the system fails, have alternative access to things if you can't operate if the system fails so that you can continue operation, you can you can shift how you do operations.
1: Very cool, thank you. I actually have another um, t- question I'd like to touch on. What's well, kind of a comment mixed in with a question from Todd. It says, cyber risk quantification is an important part of this entire effort. But as you well know, many, many companies, including critical infrastructure companies, do not currently have an ability to do this correctly in a way that identifies and prioritizes threats, vulnerabilities that are more most important to their businesses and IT environment. Mm-hmm. This is both an operational risk and financial risk. And here comes the question. What will your approach to cyber risk quantification look like? And will there be a role for security providers that do this work to help inform the effort?
0: So so definitely. And and Todd, first of all, I appreciate Todd's question, but Todd's statement is great. (laughs) Amen to Todd's statement. Um, The question, you know, we we hosted in in April a workshop, a, a dialogue workshop with, you know, companies that are really in the cyber risk metric business. I think you've seen an advancement at the corporate level, you know, and this, you know, unfortunately applies more to big corporations than small corporations that that there has been some investment to understand cyber risk as part of an overall enterprise risk process and quantify where there is risk to business operations by understanding high value assets, high value operations and putting some about some, some dollar value on, on, you know, the impact of loss of operations and evaluating threats and, and doing that. So, so you've seen that work at the corporate level um, that, you know, they're often, and, and we're trying to learn from that. There, there are different ways of thinking about metrics. We're trying to, you know, encourage a more harmonized approach. But then on top of that, you know, this community, we're more interested in, Resilience and national security than we perhaps are the impact to the corporate bottom line. So how do you translate some of those concepts? That this is the potential impact to my bottom line. To this is the impact to the the greater good. And and that's that's the nut I'd like to, to crack a little bit. Uh, you know, another source of, of good information is the cyber insurance market and, and the insurance market where where they priced in cyber risk to. Right, insurance policies, but again, they're, they're, they're pricing in cyber risk from what they're insuring against, not necessarily the whole aspect of cyber resilience that, that a community would rely on or, or cybersecurity. And so how to start with the information and data that's in, in those more mature places where risk metrics exist and build that into a framework so, so that we can talk about it from from the ultimate outcome of security resilience
1: as far as and this is this is uh, and this may be outside the the realm of what we're talking about but as far as infrastructure goes uh and 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 dealing with the because i mean all of our infrastructure is cyber almost you know it's we're, we're completely relying on technology these days if as far as like redundancy uh if some if someone were to come in and and uh bec- it, we have a hazard and they attack that they attack that vulnerability mm-hmm. um how quickly can we get up and run it again or or um take steps to at least alleviate some of, the, uh, some of the damage that's yeah. gonna be taken from the technology going down?
0: I mean, that's a good question that should be considered from a lot of different aspects. And in some ways that's why, you know, Tom mentioned the, the lots of critical functions. There are, lots of, there are lots of ways to answer that question. There are lots of things that, that could go down that have different impact from operations. Let me give you an example of where I think we've made some real progress and that's on the function of position, navigation, and timing, GPS. And, you know, we've worked hard with different critical infrastructure aspects, critical infrastructure um, industries to understand, to your precise question, if you lose precision timing, you know, which banks and transportation networks rely on, if you lose precision navigation, which all transportation networks rely on, if you, but so, so do farms and, and those sorts of things. Can you operate in a degraded state where you're manually, you know, using old time, you, you know, not digital, you're using old time analog capability and give us the answer of whether you can do that and think about ways to buy backup so that you can get something stood up. And so we've worked a lot, GPS comes from satellites, but we've worked a lot on terrestrial backups, localized backups for that, so that you don't have to operate in in that long of a degraded time. And it helps you understand by doing this sort of thinking, it helps you understand kind of how important it is to invest in analog backup capability. And, you know, the cool thing is we've seen through this kind of risks work that we send a signal to the market that there's an interest in analog backup to GPS. And we've seen a lot of innovation, terrestrial, and then other ways to use near-earth satellites, so that there are alternative sources. So now, now you can buy it in a lot of cases. And if we when we were having this conversation seven years ago, there wasn't the ability to buy it nearly as much. You know, the, the banks have figured it out because it's so key to, you know, nanoseconds are so key to their business, but a lot of others hadn't. And I, I think you've seen a marketplace stand up, and you know, that's important in emergency management you know I talked all about this without talking about next gen 911 9, 1, without talking about having 911 available enclosed in space and all that again pre, you know relies on precision communications capability and, and having backups
1: well this is, and this may be going down a little bit of a rabbit hole um, with where, where my mind is right now but you mentioned going back to the way you know the hard, doing things the way we used to and um, one of the things that I've noticed with with our reliance on technology and cyber and whatever else we we're relying on now that's not directly in front of us, right? It's all in the cloud, and we lose that. I mean, there are there are. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. You're hard pressed to find a hard copy map. You're hard, you know, pressed to find a phone book. Your heart. You know, these are things that they don't really do anymore. How is that going to hinder us if if we are no longer able to access that information?
0: Yeah, it's. So, so you know, I, I, it's not going backwards, right? It, but it is building in redundancy and robustness as we go forward. Let's talk about voting again. And we had a real movement in this country post 2000 to, you know, less reliance on paper ballots. And we all remember the butterfly ballots and the hanging chats and all that. Now let's do it by computer. Then we then there's there's less ambiguity in who people voted for. And you saw for the purpose of of that, for good purposes, a real push to digitalization. Then the Russians decided to screw a little bit with our election system. Other adversaries started to think about it and said, you know what, let's make sure they can't. Let's have paper backups. You know, let's have risk limiting audits. Let's have some techniques that, you know, not take we're still going to take advantage of digitalization and managing identities that way for the voter to make it efficient for folks to vote, particularly folks voting overseas and and people who have trouble getting to the polling places. But we're going to have redundancy and backups using, you know, more analog solutions. And, you know, you've seen it play out with audits around the country where you may have questions at the underlying technology, but the fact of the matter is, we've got paper audits. We've got a paper trail, and there is no evidence of that paper trail that the technology didn't report accurately on the, the results of the voting. And you know that's been tested, you know, around the countries in, in multiple state audits.
1: You you may have already been asked this this next question uh, previously, and this could be more opinion based than uh, than informational. But we have in emergency management. And I'm sure it's like that in other industries as well. But in emergency management, we have those are like old school right they're 25 years into the job they're like i'm never going to learn technology before i learn it i'm going to leave and then you have the new generation coming in and they're all about technology have no they have no um basically historic reference to the old way of doing things paper right And, and doing it How do we blend that in a way, and this could be more of opinion-based versus uh, if you have a strategy behind it, how do we blend it and make it where that the older generation wants to incorporate technology and the newer generation comes in and is learning about older technology?
0: Yeah. Um, How do you pass wisdom wisdom from generation to generation? Um, uh, If if only we could have figured that one out and we wouldn't repeat the mistakes of the past, right? I think that's a good question. Some of these, right, obviously some is in curriculum design um, of certificates, of other ways that you train folks. And having a, a, you know, certainly on the junior side as people get trained up, having a, thinking about it from a resilience and risk mitigation perspective and not just a pure efficiency and take advantage of all of that, and you know we've seen progress in this area and we're working to put more money into things like industrial control systems engineering which which blends you know historical practices and new technologies but but you need that sort of blend in in terms of going the other way from from the older generation toward digitalization um you know i found and I, i try to do that that we talk about cybersecurity and digitalization in I keep saying the word in real-world concepts, but in, but in things that we we know how, how to talk about. So so if you're an engineer that's working somewhere, if you're an emergency manager, this technology is in, to enable something that you've always been doing, and teaching you how to use the technology in the context of what you've already been doing, rather than the technology is you know it's enabler, right? And, and so you know continue to play with those concepts as you work through curriculum design, as you design, you know interactions and, and you know the and this is great about the emergency management community and, and i would say others right it is a very things are passed on sort of generation to generation that's the expectation that, that you will do that and you know there is a respect for the legacy and i think there needs to be that in, in different places
1: yeah, with, you know, myself, one of the, you know, just one of the things that I, I, I try and teach and promote is the, you know, evolution is great. We want to evolve as the professional. We want to evolve as a profession. We also, there's things that, that we cannot lose uh, that's related to our history and how, we di- how we've how we done things and how they those things could uh influence how we do things in the future or don't do things in the future based on things that have happened. But the use of technology itself, I mean, there was, I mean, still, I mean, this is technology this is technology but how you use it is you know a lot of people don't don't use uh, pencil and pads anymore it's all on their their phones or it's or, or they're they're dictating onto their you know writing it either they're typing it out they're dictating it to a voice audit or they're writing it in emails or they- but if we lose that are you able to I mean just for give you a quick example of mine before I you know I, I let you let you go just recently in my organization we lost uh, we lost our network and I mean when we lost our network we lost everything. We lost our internet. We lost our phones. We lost our email. We lost, and we lost all these things. And people didn't know what to do. They're like, yeah. well, how do I do my, how do I do my job? I, how do I do, do I go home? You know, it's like, no, you don't go home. We got a job. We got a job to right. do here. So these are things that we have to overcome um, with our, the newer generation because our reliance on technology, but, um, but technology, it's great until it doesn't work. You know I <laughs> mean?
0: Yeah. That's backup, right? That's backup. That's, testing that stuff and, and exercise and plans in place, place right? You know, the colonial pipeline incident was the computers didn't work and they shut down this, the, the pipeline. There was nothing that fundamentally happened to the pipeline other than you, you, your business was run on the computers and you didn't have confidence that you could run the pipelines without the computer system working. And it's massively simplified that, but, but it's like, no, there should be an ability to continue to flow your core business, even without Acts over some period of time, you know, we we we've, we've seen this play out in healthcare ransomware attacks as well. It's like, you know, do we have enough information that we can do deliver essential healthcare at a hospital if the computers are down and you can't get access to digitalized medical records? And at this point, you know, particularly for critical care, please design in that there's enough information that you 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 know you can still provide critical care for people who are to, you know you know sort of a life-threatening situation and, and that's hard it takes investment yeah it takes training
1: well bob i just want to thank you for uh taking the time to be with us today and and, and explain this to us and and uh, kind of give us a, a lesson on it how can people find you if they want to reach out to you or learn more about what what is it you're offering
0: yeah i mean we, we've done a hopefully a pretty good job we're catching up with our website so cissa.gov and there's a lot of different aspects of what I've talked about, that you can see our work in election security, I work on cyber risk metrics, or things that we've done in supply chain, critical infrastructure identification, all that. So, so please start there. Um, around the country, again, it's our security advisors that are in every state and in, in most major cities around the, co- probably every major city at this point around the country there, and are, are an a- asset to work with CISA, um, so you know, I, I would encourage particularly emergency managers around the country to make sure they have a relationship with uh, security advisors because they can help sort of understand critical infrastructure impacts. Because you know, a lot of times the bad day gets made worse if critical infrastructure is not working.
1: Yeah, well said. Well, thank you for joining us, um, and uh, I'll, I'll catch you offline in just a minute. Uh, thanks for for joining Ian Weekly this, this uh, week. Um, I want to thank before I don't want to forget to to uh, thank our sponsor, Disaster Tech. Um, without them, we couldn't bring you the, the program we're bringing you. Just thank you for joining us this morning. If you do reach out to Disaster Tech, let them know you met, you, you uh, came across them here at EM Weekly. And we will see you next week. And if, as Todd says, stay hydrated.